Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm reflecting today from the shores of Lake Atiklan in Guatemala at a beautiful retreat center called the Hermitage, where I've been sequestered, uh, meditating, eating clean, organic, healthy food, and writing and resting. And I did a meditation yesterday, an hour-long meditation at 6.30 in the morning. And I just today tried, uh, sampled, if you will, a bit of a dark retreat where you go into total darkness for multiple days at a time and have your food brought to you um, in a sort of in-between room so you can maintain darkness and you have your, your bathroom. But everything happens in the dark. And... I was talking with uh, a gentleman by the name of Severin who started this beautiful place. And we we're talking about, you know, have, having just come off of a, a plant medicine retreat where I was a week in the deep depths of the medicine. He said he could really feel my presence in the meditation. And we talked a little bit about the distinction between meditation and plant medicine. And I think both are incredible tools. But what came up for me was, I've been reading this book while I've been here, um, The Book of Joy, with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And what comes up for me about these two, uh, I would say, deeply embodied uh, masters, is that they are so youthful and joyful and exuberant, even amidst confronting profound challenges throughout their life. And what it brought up for me was the notion that prayer and meditation really give us a space between stimulus and response. It allows us to have a little bit more of a buffer before we respond to uh, a trigger, if you will. And so I've, what, I, what I see and what I understood in these, in these men, these elders, is that they have developed through prayer, through meditation, over the years, a profound ability to be at cause and not at effect to the stimulus or circumstances around them. To be able to be considered and conscious in their reaction. And often, interestingly enough, to use humor to diffuse tense situations. And so I, th I think there's many different types of tools and many different paths one can take in their practice. For me, there's a, there's a strong distinction between, say, meditation and work with the master plants. Uh, in each master plant is a different teacher. I just had the opportunity to sit with uh, peyote or hikuri, uh, bufo, and uh, ayahuasca. And for me, hikuri is a hugely heart-opening medicine. Um, very, very deep, uh, very much focused on intuition very much a place where I, I receive certain truths almost as downloads. Bufo is, is, is really just a conversation with God. 
and ayahuasca is a profound dance oftentimes at least for me with the shadow which i think is something I'll, I'll talk about in future episodes i think there's beautiful merit to coming to terms with with our shadows and our traumas and our triggers but for me I think a lot of people chase these tools for the ecstasies they provide. And I think the distinction that needs to be drawn is there's incredible opportunity to receive insights in the ecstasies. The trick is really in doing the integration work. So how do we take the profound insights that were shown through the master teachers, the master plants, and actually apply them in our lives? And this is where I think meditation is central because as we're working to reprogram, if you will, the nervous system, reprogram the, the new neuroplasticity that has been gestated through these you know, ecstatic uh, and deep, deep, deep experiences, meditation helps to, um, I think move us back into a theta state back into a state of of a depth of consciousness back into a rested mind but i think thinking that meditation alone will will um, be the solution is also not necessarily the case for me i feel like the work is really in going out into the world there's a beautiful distinction that i loved in sri lanka between the forest dwelling and village dwelling monastic. The forest dwelling monastic renounced the world to go and pursue nirvana or the cessation of samsara, of suffering, in the forest amidst the quiet of nature. And not that that was an easy path, but it was a path of renunciation. The village dwelling monastic uh, chose to uh, go into the, the 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 crap, if you will, of day-to-day living in the village, the challenges of everyday life. And I think the ultimate example of that is the Bodhisattva. The Bodhisattva forsakes their own enlightenment to foster and support all other sentient beings in their cessation of suffering and does so of and through the village, if you will, in modern times, the city. And so I think as we as we contend with the challenges of modern day life, I like to think about the village dwelling monastic and the paradigm of how we actually use service as an active meditation and a way to actually integrate some of the deep, deep wisdom that is received with the master plants. And there I think meditation becomes a tool to to become more at cause more a source of the reality you want to create in life and less at effect to the things that come at you and so i think they can be profound complements for each other i think again meditation for me enables that beautiful space between trigger and response and the plants allow for me a depth of inquiry that is unprecedented and then taking that and integrating it in the village in day-to-day life is where the work really happens it's where the magic happens and that's where the meditation becomes 
so central as a way of creating that pause, that, that beautiful consideration between the old ways of being that we were before our deep dance, our deep work with the medicine, and the new ways of being we're now committed to. I hope you found this helpful. This is my daily dose today on meditation, the magic of the master plants, and the village dwelling paradigm. I'm sending you so much love from the shores of Lake Atiklan. Until next time, my friends, savor the journey.